Martin Shkreli was dubbed the most hated man in America by the BBC and a spoiled brat by Donald Trump. Now he's a convicted felon. On Friday, a jury found Shkreli guilty of defrauding investors in two hedge funds. Shkreli gained notoriety as a drug executive when he raised the price of a, of a potentially life-saving HIV treatment by 5,000%. His smirk-filled congressional testimony only enhanced his controversial reputation. The criminal trial dealt with a separate matter. Prosecutors said Shkreli ran a Ponzi scheme using investors' money to start a drug company and siphoning off the company's assets to pay investors. He was convicted of three counts but acquitted of five others. Afterwards, Shkreli declared victory. This was a witch hunt of, of epic proportions, and maybe they found one or two broomsticks, but at the end of the day, uh, we've been uh, acquitted of the most important charges in this case. With us to talk about the Martin Shkreli verdict is Peter Henning. He's a professor at Wayne State University Law School, and Robert Hockett. He's a professor at Cornell University Law School. Uh, thanks for joining us, both of you. Peter, let me, let me start with you. Just uh, let's start with the guilty counts. Tell us what exactly Shkreli was convicted of doing. Well, uh, two counts of securities fraud, and both of those related to a hedge fund or two hedge funds that he ran. And the core of the government's case was that he, he lied to those investors that, in fact, the hedge funds were almost completely wound down, and then that he took shares from Retrofin, one of the uh, pharmaceutical companies that he founded, essentially to pay them off. Um, and that he lied to them about the risk that they were enduring. And then one count of conspiracy related to fraud with regard to retrofin. So that he was uh, using uh, shares from retrofin to essentially pay off investors in the hedge fund when, in fact, retrofin had no interest and no need to pay them. So that essentially was the fraud. And and Bob, what what uh, tell us about the other side of it? What was uh, Screlly acquitted of, and, and and what was the distinction between those things he was uh, convicted of and those things he was acquitted of? Sure. So he was found not not guilty of a number of additional conspiracy charges that had been leveled against him. Right. So there had been uh, charges that he had conspired to commit securities fraud in connection with both of the hedge funds and that he had conspired to commit wire fraud uh, with respect uh, to uh, both of the uh, hedge funds. Uh, and then finally, there was a, a, a charge that he had conspired to commit wire fraud in connection with Retrofin, uh, the pharmaceuticals company. So I think the best way to sort of understand the relation between what he was convicted of and what he wasn't is as follows. Essentially, he was found guilty of having committed the predicate offenses by reference to which conspiracy charges are usually defined, right? In other words, we got the planet, so we didn't really have to go after the satellite anyway. Um, they did go after the satellite anyway. That's to say they went after the conspiracy charges that related to the underlying predicate offense charges. He was, Scraley was found not guilty on those, but in a certain sense, it doesn't really matter because he was found guilty on the underlying predicate offenses that would have been the predicates to the conspiracies anyway. So he, he, he really did, in my view, get convicted on what counts, on what matters most. Peter, do you agree with that? And, and if, if so, uh, what do we make of Screlly saying afterwards that he was uh, acquitted of the most important charges in the case? 
Well, I, you know, I certainly agree with Bob. Then that uh, you know, just for the government, any guilty verdict here is going to be a victory. Now, Screlly says, well, you know, I, we were acquitted of the most serious charges. The, the wire fraud charge uh, involved looting of retrofin, so uh, or conspiracy to loot retrofin, and that um, carried the potential for a uh, very substantial loss figure, and really. Uh, what is underlying this case, interestingly, is that the hedge fund investors were, at least it appears, were compensated and got all their money back, plus uh, some, because Retrofin has turned out to be a fairly successful company. And it's not clear that Retrofin lost anything from what Screlly did. In fact, he might have set it up so that it was a success. So you have this kind of odd situation of a fraud without losses. And that may have an impact at sentencing uh, when that comes up down the road. Yeah. So, Bob, given given what Peter just said, um, the fact that investors didn't lose money, and in fact, that was, I think, part of Screlly's defense, um, was there legitimate grounds for a prosecution in this case? Um, I think there was. I think Peter's quite right that the fact that there wasn't a loss will have some possible effect on the sentencing, because loss itself is a particularly important, relevant factor that a judge is meant to take into account when sentencing. At the same time, however, it's worth keeping in mind that it's not the only factor that a judge is meant to take account of. For one thing, there's the matter of the intention, right? What was the guy actually trying to do? What was his aim? Uh, If uh, his victims ended up profiting in a kind of accidental way, if it just so happened that they ended up profiting anyway, but that's no thanks to Martin Sprelly, or at least no thanks to the offensive actions that he took, then that's not really going to help him very much at sentencing. In addition, the apparent sort of moral turpitude or the apparent lack of contrition or even any sense that he's done anything wrong uh, that Mr. Sprelly seems to be displaying every day in public is also something that I suspect the sentencing judge is apt to take account of, and it's certainly warranted in taking account of. And so you could end up seeing a pretty stiff penalty being levied. I mean, there's some people talking about how, yeah, he might only get a couple of months or a suspended sentence. I have a funny feeling that's just not true. I suspect he's going to get years. We're talking about the guilty verdict of Martin Screlly, the pharmaceutical executive who was convicted on Friday of defrauding hedge fund investors. Our guests are Peter Henning and uh, Robert Hockett, law professors at Wayne State University and Cornell University, respectively. Um, Peter, uh, uh, Bob was talking about how um, Martin Screlly may face years in prison. His lawyer uh, said last week that he might actually ask for no prison time for Martin Screlly. Does that effort have any chance of success in your mind? Well, the starting point uh, that his lawyer, uh, Ben Brafman, is talking about is looking at the federal sentencing guidelines and the recommended sentence. And the, the key driver there, although not the only one, as Bob mentioned, but the key driver is the amount of the loss. And if the loss is zero, and certainly uh, I would expect him to argue that the investors didn't lose anything, Retrofin didn't lose anything, then that would likely result in a recommended sentence of, um, it could be as low as probation or home confinement or perhaps a period, a short period in a federal prison and then um, 
community corrections. So uh, I could see him arguing for probation. It's going to be tough. And of course, the judges are not bound by the sentencing guidelines and haven't been for over a decade. And so what Judge Matsumoto looks at is going to be everything that's related to Mr. Screlly. This is where um, his comments, his social media statements, and frankly, some of his denigration of the process could come to, into play, and she may decide that a message has to be sent here. But certainly I can see the defense asking for uh, no time or a very short prison term. Bob, uh, Martin Screlly's lawyers uh, did not present any witnesses at trial. In retrospect, does it seem as though that might have been a mistake? Um, I, I mean, that's a tough one to tell. I mean, the, the, the witness that people talked most about as a prospective testifier was Mr. Shkreli himself, right? There was a, a live question up until the 24th of July whether he would actually testify on his own behalf or not. Um, and, of course, the risks were fairly obvious, right? I mean, he's not a particularly sympathetic character. He seems to be, in effect, unable to help himself. He sort of can't help but come across as boorish and uh, arrogant and contemptful or contemptuous and, and, and the like. Uh, and so he ultimately decided, uh, presumably on that basis, uh, not to testify on his own behalf. Um, I don't know that it can be said that that hurt him, right, unless had he actually testified, it would have been clear that he had some kind of organic impairment, right, some kind of problem. that He has, uh, um, I don't know, Asperger's syndrome or something of, of that kind um, that his lawyer was sort of suggesting that he had uh, by way of sort of explaining his uh, his. his quirkiness, let's say, to put it in a neutral way, uh, of behavior. Um, as for uh, other uh, possible witnesses, um, you know, it, it's it, it, it's hard to tell whether that would hurt or, or, or help. It would just sort of depend on the witnesses themselves. My understanding is that some people did, in fact, say that, yeah, um, I ended up coming out ahead. I ended up making money off of my investment, and so in that sense, I wasn't harmed. Um, more testimony to that effect might have been helpful. Um, but again, it's kind of unclear that it would have been because he wasn't found guilty uh, on, on that ground anyway, right? He wasn't found guilty of having done anything that actually incurred serious loss uh, to, say, retrofit investors. It was rather that he broke the rules that he lied in a manner that could have ended up incurring significant losses. And indeed, the sentencing judge is likely to look at that uh, that very factor as well, right? Just what might very well have happened. Um, um, had it not been for, you know, just good luck um, uh, in, in, in light of what he had done and by way of misleading investors. P- Peter, uh, do you see any grounds here for Martin Screlly's lawyers to successfully appeal? Um, it, it, an appeal is always tough in any criminal case, especially here. The key focus was fraudulent intent. And in fact, the uh, defense said that, you know, can you find that Screlly intended to defraud the hedge fund investors or Retrofin? That is a classic jury credibility determination. And so appeals courts are very hesitant to uh, interfere in that at all. And so I I think that's going to make a successful appeal here very tough because I I don't think you're going to want to hear appeals judges saying, well, there wasn't enough here. The jury came back with five not guilty verdicts. So from the government's point of view, they can say, look, the jury weighed the evidence. We won three. We lost five. This was a jury that followed the instructions. That's going to make it even more difficult to overturn the verdict. 
I want to thank our guests, uh, Peter Henning, who teaches at Wayne State University Law School, and Robert Hockett, who teaches at Cornell University Law School, talking about the jury verdict in the case of Martin Screlly. Uh, Screlly is still facing SEC charges and a civil lawsuits, so even after his criminal case, there will be more things to talk about here on Bloomberg Law. Coming up, a top Justice Department official says Special Counsel Robert Mueller has a broad mandate as he investigates possible crimes involving Russian meddling in the 2016 election. Uh, He also said, Rod Rodenstein also said this weekend that uh, it's no fishing expedition that Robert Mueller is is going about uh, looking at. 